Now, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. Uh, feel free to follow along in the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. And as you're turning, just by way of introduction, I want to note that this is going to be uh, our fifth mini-series in the book of Exodus. So we've been studying through the book of Exodus since 2019. We began with this mini-series called Delivered that took us through the Song of Moses across the Red Sea, delivered out of slavery in Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, and that's where we put a pause in 2019. And then in 2020, we did a series called Approaching Sinai, coming from the Red Sea and traveling to the mount where they would receive the Ten Commandments. Uh, Last year, in 2021, we slowed way down and studied each of the Ten Commandments in a series, a mini-series on the Ten Commandments. And then this year, we've already had a a, a four-week mini-series on the Book of the Covenant. And so as you're thinking about the Book of Exodus, I hope that you're able to kind of start feeling the blocks, the, the natural seams, if you will, to the book in general. And this is a new seam, a new section of the Book of Exodus where we will be studying the tabernacle. So this mini-series is called Tabernacle. Now, if you've ever done a Bible reading plan, which hopefully many of you have as a part of our church family, you know that sometimes it becomes a little bit difficult when you get to Exodus chapter 25. That's because the stories in Genesis, the narrative carries itself kind of well. You might have a a few genealogies in there, but you can kind of make it through because you know Joseph is coming and the excitement coming up at the end of the book. And then in Exodus, there have been a lot of narratives and things, plagues and commandments and things happening that have really kept our interest. But this is the portion of scripture where some Bible reading plans go to die. (laughs) And so you're probably a little worried, probably a little concerned as we're thinking about the tabernacle. What use do I have in 2022 for instructions on how to build a tent. And it might seem that simple, but let me give a little weight that I think Scripture itself gives. There are two chapters devoted to the creation of all things in the world. God's creation, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. It's not the beginning, so it's important. There are 50 chapters that relate to The giving of the instructions of, the building of, and the use of the tabernacle. 50 chapters in the Bible that talk about the giving of the instructions, the building of, and the use of the tabernacle. Needless to say, God has given some import, some weight to this tent, this place where he would dwell. Over almost almost 500 years the Israelites will use this portable place. Now, part of the reason why I think this is such an important thing is because the Bible is an unfolding narrative of God's story of redemption. And in part of the unfolding, what we find is that the theme of God dwelling amongst his people is one of the grandest themes of all the grand themes in Scripture. God dwelling among his people is one of the grandest themes among all of the grand themes in Scripture. So take, for example, a verse you probably know well, John 1 and verse 14. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you might read John 1.14 and think to yourself, you know, that's kind of neat. I'm really, I'm really excited that, you know, God's glory has come to dwell among us. But would you ever fully grasp what John was talking about in the first chapter of his gospel? If you hadn't studied the tabernacle, the Greek word that John uses for that verse, and he dwelt among us, means that he pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. Even further back, all the way in the garden, God dwelling with his people, going to the book of Revelation. So Genesis to Revelation, from garden to garden, God with his people is a theme. And that's why some of the imagery on the tabernacle curtains and in the temple would involve palm trees and pomegranates and things that would have reminded the Israelites of a garden. That God would dwell among his people. The tabernacle is an important thing, an important theme in the grand story of God's plan of redemption. You might recall, uh, for example, what Jesus said about the temple, another place where God would dwell amongst his people in his earthly ministry. John chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see, God's plan to dwell with his people would ultimately to be to dwell in his people. And Christ himself would become the cornerstone of a new and living temple. So the tabernacle is a major step towards us understanding how it is that God and man can dwell together again. How can God dwell amongst the midst of sinful people? And the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the priestly ministry all point us forward to Jesus and to the house, the spiritual house that he is constructing of his people. So to borrow from 1 Peter chapter 2, as we're considering God dwelling with us and what he's doing now, we understand that we come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, Peter says to the Christians, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in this big grand story, all of this is pointing to God dwelling with us, Jesus being the cornerstone of the temple, and we are the building, living stones being built together and fashioned into the place where God dwells with us until he returns and has us be with him. So, I hope that by the end of this mini-series in Exodus, your New Testament reading and understanding begins to take on a whole greater depth of understanding and appreciation. But I want to turn from a general introduction to the tabernacle now to the text for today, which are the first nine verses 
in Exodus 25. So hopefully by now you found Exodus 25, and I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. This is the offering you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Fine linen and goat hair. Ramskins dyed red and fine leather. Acacia wood. Oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And onyx along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me, so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle, as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. I invite you to be seated. As you're seated, will you bow your heads And pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you, asking that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your word. God, help us to be obedient to your word and to to live in a way that responds to what we hear today. May your Holy Spirit move as I speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's plan to build the tabernacle, involve the willing, heartfelt contributions of his people. I want to say that again. God's plan to build the tabernacle involved the willing and heartfelt contributions of his people. On the top of the mountain, in the very presence of God, the Lord speaks to Moses and tells him to take up an offering for the building of the tabernacle. And I want you to consider first with me as you follow along in the outlines provided the provision of those building supplies, the provision for the building supplies. We've studied the Psalms, and so what came to my mind was Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. We recognize that all of our generosity is derivative. All of our generosity is derivative. By that, I simply mean the only way we are able to give anything to God's building program is because everything we have comes from God. All that we see, uh, and we see this, don't we, in the book of Exodus, the amount of gold alone that it would have taken to build the tabernacle weighed one ton, according to some estimates. It also involved about three tons of silver. And so the kind of obvious question is, how could a nation of former slaves ever afford this kind of building effort? And if you've been with us and you've been studying with us through the book of Exodus, you might have one of the answers to this. You might recall that God provided it for them when they departed out of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, we read in verse 35, the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. Remember, they were scared silly by all the plagues. 
And when they asked, they're like, please take it and leave. All right. So verse 36, the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. There may have also been spoils from the victory of war over Amalek as well. A simple reminder for us today is that the provision for the building, reply, building supplies for the place where God would dwell among his people was derived from the abundant generosity of God himself. We give because God gives first, and he gives us everything that we have. But God allows us, or perhaps more accurately, he intends for us to be involved in the provision of the supplies as a matter of testing our hearts. So don't be like that dad that sat down with his family at the dinner table after one Sunday morning church. Have you heard this joke before? The family sitting down together and the teenage son is like, man, that sermon was so boring. And the little sister chimes in. She's like, yeah, and did you see how the pastor stumbled over his words when he was reading the Bible? And the mother says, I have to admit, it was quite an uninspiring day. The choir, it was terrible. And then finally, the father, showing his level of spiritual maturity, says, Oh, hush, you guys. Quit complaining. What else did you expect for a quarter? (laughs) Sorry. You see, giving to God is an important sign of our own commitment to Christ. Our willingness to give back some of what we own is one of the leading indicators of our own spiritual health. And so it's not unique to me, but it is worth saying, generosity is one of the vital signs of real Christianity. And a Christian who isn't giving probably isn't growing. A Christian who isn't giving probably isn't growing. God loves a cheerful giver. That is not a New Testament, uh, not unique and not beginning in the New Testament. It's right here in Exodus 25 too, God wanted a willing offering from his people. But secondly, as you're following along, along in your outlines, I want you to take note of the variety and the ordering of the building supplies. Now, we won't linger long for here, but it is kind of interesting to note a couple of things. First of all, the precious metals that are listed are described in order of descending value, gold and silver and bronze and And then later we come to understand that the usage of those precious metals depended on how close they were to the holy of holies. The more uh, holy the place and space was, the more precious the metals in use. There are also a variety of things like animal skins, uh, probably one of which, interesting to note, was was, uh, weather-resistant. The use in the CSB, it calls it fine leather, And it puts a footnote and says the Hebrew is obscure. Some scholars that have studied this say that term would have likely referred to something like a porpoise or a dolphin skin that would have been found in the Red Sea and would have helped protect uh, and keep the tabernacle weather resistant. Then there were also oil and spices and jewels, an amazing variety of raw materials. The yarns are also interesting. You know, I think of yarn and I think of like, Well, if I need purple yarn, where am I going to go? Hobby Lobby, of course, right? Just go down to Hobby Lobby and get whatever color yarn I want. Not so fast in Exodus. To have purple yarn was a luxury, and it would require something like 12,000 
murex snails to yield 1.4 grams of purple dye. This is a pretty expensive endeavor. Which leads me to the next point in our outline today, which is the costliness, the costliness of some of the building supplies. Philip Ryken points out in his commentary that everyone in Israel was invited to give. The important thing was for people to bring the most valuable thing that they had, right? Because whatever it happened to be, if you had gold, you needed to bring gold because if the people that had gold didn't bring the gold, there would be no gold for the building of the tabernacle. So depending on how God had blessed you and what wealth you had, you needed to contribute out of the best. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been some of the best and most valuable things needed. This is, of course, a far better use of gold than what the people were actually doing with the gold at the moment, all right? Do you remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, because during the 40 days that Moses is on the mountain, they're asking, the people are asking Aaron to build a golden calf, and they're contributing some of their gold to the building of an idol, and of course, Moses, when he comes down, he grinds up the gold, <laughs> makes them drink the gold, the bitter gold water, and then sets the Levites loose for the bloodiest ordination service you've ever heard of. So the message for us today, as we consider this gold, let it serve as a lesson for us and reorient our way of thinking about our own accumulation of wealth. Why do we work? Why has God provided us with so much? Of course, there are good and godly biblical answers, providing for our family, providing the things that we need. But with what we have left, are we to use it to create idols or to help build the dwelling place for God to dwell with his people? There is a right and a wrong use for the gold that God gives us. And to be very clear, when I say that we should use our gold for the building of the church, I'm not necessarily meaning the building itself. Now, it could be the building programs we heard about last week during our 40th anniversary for Leonardtown Baptist Church have served to allow for the gospel to go forth every Lord's Day from this pulpit. And there are ways that we use this building for the glory of God throughout the week. But we have already firmly established that Christ is the cornerstone of a new and living temple. That he is building a a building, a spiritual house with his followers, who Peter calls living stones. So when I say we are to use our giving of our wealth to help build the church, I want you to hear me asking this question. Are we giving out of our wealth toward the advance of the gospel in any way, shape, or form that that might include, like supporting missionaries or pastors, like contributing to CEF Good News Clubs, or building a shoebox to send the gospel around the world, Young Life, or any of our local ministry partners. There are any number of ways that we can steward our God-given resources for the building of the kingdom of God and not the creation of golden calves to worship instead. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Jason, that is really nice for all those folks who have 2022's version of gold, but that ain't me. Okay, well, let me ask you this question. Do you have any goat's hair? (laughs) Do you have any goat's hair? 
So let me call this next section the inexpensiveness, the inexpensiveness of other building supplies. We've talked about the costliness of gold. What about goat's hair? There's a reason why the offering plate is passed by everyone in the room and not just the wealthy people in here. Because whether the, whether the amount you give is large or small is totally insignificant in God's eyes. And we learned that in our children's message today. We relearned, we studied the, the widow and the two mites. We understand that since it all comes from God, you know, like Paul says, who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? From him and through him and to him are all things. So let's just get over ourselves with the number of zeros behind the check we write and start talking about the heart of the giver. John Calvin, when he commented on this passage, wrote, What the poor offer of their little will not be eclipsed by the abundance of the rich, since God deigns to reckon goat's hair among the sacred offerings, not less than gold, purple, or precious stones. Listen, never underestimate the importance of any contribution when it is being devoted to God's purpose. Never underestimate the size of your contribution when it is devoted to God's purpose. I hope children in this room hear that loud and clear. I hope those that don't have much in this room understand God loves a cheerful giver and can use any size gift for his purpose. This is illustrated in a story that's told of a a church in Philadelphia in 1886. A little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt was sitting outside of the Grace Baptist Church on Broad Street, and she was crying because the church was already full to capacity. There was no way for her to get in, and the preaching of that pastor, Dr. Russell H. Conwell, was so renowned in that city that the little church was packed every single week. Dr. Conwell arrived at the church that morning, and he recognized Hattie Mae's problem. So he put her on his shoulders and carried her in and sat her on the platform next to him while he preached. That day, Dr. Conwell told the congregation he hoped someday they could build a new church to solve a problem like this. Hattie Mae took him seriously and began saving her pennies. Sadly, in the providence of God, She became ill and died a few months later. After the little girl's funeral, her parents came to Dr. Conwell and handed him 57 pennies. They told him that these were for the new church. It was the first contribution to a building fund. At that time, there were no serious plans for a new building. It was just a possibility for the future. But when Dr. Conwell told the church's trustees what had happened, they decided it was time to buy some property. The owner of the property that they found was not a Christian, but he told them that he would accept 57 cents as a down payment when he heard about Hattie Mae's story and charged a rest on a 5% loan. Well, when the congregation heard about Hattie Mae's pennies, they did the trustees one better, and they raised the full amount for the land and presented it to the pastor and the trustees as a gift. And within a few years, Philadelphia's famous Baptist temple was built. And the best thing about that story is not the building itself, but what it would be used for. In Dr. Conwell's own words, 
The mission of the church is to save the souls of men. That is the true mission. We are here to save the souls of dying sinners. We are here for no other purpose. So I want you to mark it down in your outlines for number five. This is, my dear brothers and sisters, the purpose of the building supplies. The purpose of the building supplies. You see, Dr. Conwell was right. The purpose of the church is to save dying sinners by preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinning. We are sinners saved by God's grace. And our hearts compel us to give our very best for his holy work, no matter how expensive or inexpensive our gifts might be. You see, the purpose of the collection for the tabernacle, from goat's hair to gold, was for God to dwell with his people. Sixthly and lastly in your outlines, I want you to observe the last thing about the collection of the building supplies for the tabernacle, and that is the specificity of the building supplies. The specificity of the building supplies. Some of you engineering minds will appreciate uh, the instructions that go into this. God is just beginning to unfurl his elaborately detailed plan for the building of the tabernacle. There will be several chapters worth of instructions about it and its contents. Now I want to just ask, can we agree that God cares how we build his dwelling place? God cares how his dwelling place is built. It must be built with the right materials. And friends, I would argue the same is true for the New Testament church. Our mission and our church's effectiveness will be judged, we are told from Scripture one day, with fire. And the building materials that we build with as pastors and leaders and fellow believers makes a difference. So track with me here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul writes this, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, remember, Jesus is the cornerstone of the new and living temple. And and nobody can change the cornerstone. That's the foundation of everything. Paul says he built on that and others are building on that. And he continues in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? J.V. Fesco has a tremendous book about connections between Christ and the desert tabernacle. And in it, he writes, will we construct the temple, the church, in accordance with the specific instructions God has given us? Will we construct it with the wisdom of man or with the materials that God has prescribed? 
like the preaching and teaching of his word, Christ crucified, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and with fervent prayer. We can only build on the foundation of Christ with specific materials that God has prescribed, and nothing less will do. We should, therefore, like Moses, follow the commands of the Lord and use only those things he has ordained for the construction of his temple, the church. Brothers and sisters, we dare not stray from the building instructions that God has given us for building of the New Testament church. And we dare not close our fists around the abundance of provision that God has given to us. Let us rather, as each one is moved in his heart, give cheerfully to the building of the place that God is pleased to dwell. The wonder of all wonders is that God tabernacles with us, that God dwells in us by the spreading of the gospel and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So LBC, I pray we will be about continuing in our generosity, our sacrificial giving, that value Pastor Allen mentioned before, to that end, to the building up of his church until Christ is pleased to return and we will dwell with him for eternity in the place that he is preparing for us, not made with human hands. You see, in that place, the thing that we value the most, the gold, will be the thing that we walk on. It'll be underneath our feet. John described the new heavens and the new earth in the book of Revelation, and I'll close with this. Again, the grand theme of God dwelling with his people. John writes, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We have the great hope of dwelling eternally with our God. Until then, let us be about the work of making a place and preparing that place for God to dwell with us by sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel, and generously giving, building supplies for the building up of the place where he will dwell amongst his people.